The story you are about to hear is entirely true. Names and locations have been omitted or changed for privacy to those involved. Portions of this program have been brought to you by Monarch Brand Premium Liquid Butter Alternative. Cheese. A story by Sky Odsley. April 2019. Well, it's been almost a year. My lease is up next month, and I'm moving again. My fish Dan is no longer with us, and I never bought any furniture. Instead, I've lived here among boxes and out of boxes. The plastic folding table and folding chair I purchased to continue my work saw little action other than my ass and a pizza. That isn't to say that I haven't done a lot of work, but I've spent most of the last year fixing older stories and formatting them to paperback. The creative process is not something I know a lot about, but I hope the slump I've been in is just a common phase. But let's not make this about what I haven't done. Let's talk about what I have accomplished. I've put on 18 pounds, and because of this, I've bought seven new shirts without any buyer's remorse at all. I went from wearing a large to an extra large, which in terms of ordering popcorn or a side at McDonald's is considered an upgrade, I suppose. The rest of my shirts don't fit anymore, so this has kept my closet practically unused. It's like a museum of the healthy person I used to be in there. All my old jackets and button-ups hang like relics from the good old time when I could still do a sit-up. The only thing I routinely use in my closet is the laundry basket. It broke a while ago, but I never got around to replacing it. Instead, I just continue to carry it to and from the basement laundry room, held in both arms, tight against my chest, because it no longer has handles. I like to think of it as me hugging the basket and showing it affection through its slow deterioration and death. I guess you could say the basket and I are close. That we share something. Or that I see part of myself in what has become of the laundry basket lately. It is slag and beaten, broken and tired, finally snapped, and almost detached. There is so much beauty in how I look at my laundry basket and why I hold on to it that really any word you can think of fits somehow. In this last year, my laundry basket has done a lot for me. It's been the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning, and often, if I'm not so drunk that I pass out in my clothes, the last thing I see before I fall asleep at night. And although it doesn't do the best job and isn't in as good of shape as it used to be, it's still there on the hardwood floor, staying at it. It's through this relationship with inanimate objects that I, only for fleeting moments, am able to see the woven design of love as it binds all things. But unlike my laundry basket, I was born burdened with conscious thought. I am self-aware, and time has forced upon me the lesson of change. Not everyone is lucky enough to be in control of change, but I've said often that I'm one of the luckiest people I know. 
And thanks to that, I have the power to make changes in my life. Big changes, little changes, any kind of change. I don't have any addictions, because I don't like or care about most things enough to do them over and over again. That isn't to say that I don't drink a lot. I use the measurement of a lot here because that's probably how some asshole doctor would describe my drinking habits. But I only drink at night, albeit all through the night. But I've yet to find a lasting negative effect alcohol has had on my life. At this point, I'm single, bloated, chronically depressed, lonely, and extremely unsure of what brings me actual joy in life. I hardly think drinking myself to sleep every single night has anything to do with it. I smoke cigarettes too, but only out of boredom when I'm walking to a bar, standing alone outside a bar, or stumbling home from a bar. I've never craved a cigarette and couldn't really tell you what I like or dislike about them. They burn up quick and traces of them litter my apartment. These scattered empty packs and matchbooks remind me of the waste I create and the things I have made waste of. But cigarettes don't make you gain weight. At least that's what I've heard. In fact, people say they do the opposite. The real enemy here is food. Food annoys the shit out of me. Food is way too popular. Food doesn't deserve all the attention that it gets. It's so overrated and about itself. And I'm using this as a broad statement here and calling false fame to all food worldwide. I'm not a food snob. I'm the exact opposite, actually, because I don't really like any kind of food at all. But food is among the shitty list of things life requires. It's nailed up there between money and shelter, two things I have already written lengthy pieces on hating as well. Food gets to have its way. It runs things. It's a big boss to everyone. Food is as close to an addiction as it gets for me. Not because I crave it, but because the powers that be decided long ago that I need it to survive. But in true fucker fashion, food toys with me and always manages to piss me off. I could do a food-by-food food breakdown of what I hate about food, but that has been done. Instead, in honor of bigotry, I just think of all food as beneath me and give it the same look of disdain whether I'm staring at a florette of broccoli, a box of penne pasta, or a can of black beans. It's all horseshit in my opinion. I should mention, however, that cookies and cupcakes do not count as food. They have ascended the righteous ladder and should be thought of only by their respective names. Get on my level, people, otherwise the rest of this won't make any sense. Anyhow, back to why food sucks. Let's start with the obvious. It's overpriced. It doesn't stay fresh for long. If you don't watch it closely, it can burn you. And it can even turn in the night and poison you in your sleep. Do I need to say more? Alright, I will. What's up with cooking? Cooking is like giving food a free day at a spa. 
Food has done nothing to deserve something that nice. Think about it. You massage it. You let it mingle with others, give it a bath. Then it gets a nice steam and gets to lay out and feel all pampered and luxurious while everybody compliments it. Upon writing this, I gotta say, fuck food entirely. But then it's a necessity, so this story must go on. All of this stems from one awful word. Convenience. You see, food is everywhere. Food grows on trees. It even crawls right up out of the ground. And in the part of the world I was born in, there are entire stores devoted exclusively to selling food. A lot of them are called restaurants. These are places where you have to pay to sit down, like a doctor's office or a city bus. Restaurants serve no other purpose than to stroke food's already engorged sense of vanity. I've never been to a restaurant that I like. When I'm forced to go to one, my only hope is that they'll have basketball on a television. I like watching basketball on a television when I'm in public places because it's a great way to avoid eye contact with everyone else and keeps me from meeting anyone new. At this point in my life, I don't want to meet anyone new. Before this notion, back when I was young and dumb, I met enough people. And despite those people being my current circle of friends, only a very small percentage of them are actually good people. So searching further doesn't make sense mathematically. But that's what restaurants are for. Socializing. If their intention and goal was to showcase food, I'm sorry to inform them of this, but they have failed. If I was forced to choose a favorite restaurant, though, it would be Long John Silver's. Those guys broke the mold. There, I've said it. My favorite restaurant has and always will be Long John Silver's. That isn't to say that I love it. It's just the best there is, and I have no idea why others even bother trying to compete. But enough about restaurants. People talk about them enough as it is. This story is about that other kind of food store. Grocery stores. I know, it's pretty strange that they put the word gross right there at the start. Maybe it was an accident, maybe it was an intentional joke, or just maybe it was a subtle warning. But somehow it's been ingrained in us to overlook the fact that most things we eat are referred to as groceries. This label is fitting, however, because food is totally gross. And what's even grosser is how it is displayed and sold in grocery stores. But to spare the global breakdown of each market and corporate chain lining the long roads of the Midwest and the streets of each small town, this tale involves one grocery store in particular. The one directly across the street from my apartment. But for privacy to their staff members, and mostly to keep me from getting in trouble, the place must, for now, remain nameless. I've never exaggerated in my life, 
And I'm holding true here when I say there are a billion things that irritate me about this place. To those familiar with my previous short story, The Sectional, forgive me for this recap, but my favorite part of my neighborhood used to be this cinnamon roll coffee shop a block north of my building. And four blocks further in that direction is absolutely, without a doubt, my favorite grocery store of all time. They have everything I need up there, and the staff is super chill. Almost every day of last summer and fall, I would wake up, head to the gym, and then walk those five blocks with my favorite iced coffee in one hand and a paper bag of a few healthy items in the other. That grocery store up there is really just the best. They deserve more praise, and I wish I could plug their name here, but I must refrain. What I ate back then weirded some people out, but it made perfect sense to me at the time. I'm a great cook, but cooking for just myself is depressing, and I already have enough depressing things in my lonely life. To explain a bit, although I'm a self-proclaimed professional dishwasher, that's just what I do for work, not pleasure. And cooking for yourself involves a lot of dishes. So a while ago, in spite of my immense talent, I gave up cooking altogether. And that's what I loved most about that store five blocks up. They, in a way, became my own private chef. A friend of mine once scoffed when I told her about my grocery shopping habits. I remember her saying, you're so silly, going to a grocery store to buy hot food. I just took the jab, but I wished I could have replied the way I wanted to, because I wanted to shout, you're damn right I do, I'm a goddamn genius. But I don't like to make a habit of shouting. The place, five blocks up, had such a great deli with so many choices and various styles that it maintains a distant but steady second place to Long John Silver's. You could get Chinese food or sushi made to order. You could get burrito bowls just as good as Chipotle. And there was even a pasta station and an awesome selection of soups. But if you're a plain Jane like I used to be, you could also just get a simple roasted chicken breast and a side of steamed vegetables. And then there were the store's other amenities. Great produce, fresh breads, an outstanding meat department, and a spacious food court with big windows overlooking a pleasant view. The layout of the aisles all flowed with ease. Everything was right where it should be. And if you can believe this, there was even a liquor store and a Starbucks there as well. I know, this stuff is pretty hard to believe. And yes, the David Lee Roth song, Just Like Paradise, did in fact pop into my head every time I entered the place. Needless to say, I spent a lot of time there. By no fabrication, I actually went there every single day and sometimes even more than once a day. Back when I lived with roommates, I'd go to this same store in the same way, but in a different location. So after the move, when I was first living by myself out of these boxes on the floor, 
I was so relieved to find another franchise right in my new neighborhood. We all know how I feel about change. Taking a walk to get coffee on that first day of living alone, when I saw the sign for the place, I thought, thank God. I won't have to change a thing in my routine, aside from less driving, which I wouldn't miss, and a little more walking, which was rich in health benefits. Things were looking up. Here is an overview of my daily shopping list from that time. Packaged hard-boiled eggs, carrot juice, fresh spinach, and a deli entree of one roasted chicken breast and two sides of steamed vegetables. I would also occasionally buy a bag of pretzels or unsalted saltines for a late-night snack. I would buy these items every single day, and that was my diet every single day. It was great. I'd wake up, drink carrot juice, eat the eggs and spinach, head to the gym, and then walk five blocks and pick these things up all over again, sticking the new eggs and spinach and juice in my fridge as I ate my simple lunch from a box and then tossed it into the recycling. Then I'd get some writing done before another hard night of drinking myself blind to block out how meaningless my existence had become and how uninspired my written words now sounded. I'd smoke half a pack of cigarettes between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m., and in that time I'd also polish off ten or so beers and ten or so shots, start a few conversations I'd entirely forget having, and then crawl home, order a pizza, and eat the whole thing by myself while watching KISS videos on YouTube. Then I would continue to drink till dawn, and much later, as the sun touched my windows, I'd pass out in my headphones upright in a chair, and at some point unknown, drag myself to bed. I would wake up the next afternoon cuddling my pillow, rise to endure a painful and long bowel movement, and then do this whole routine all over again. Life was good. I was set on a path to succeed, and I was the healthiest I'd ever been. And it was all thanks to that great grocery store only five blocks away. But then something awful happened. One day, a cold wind began to blow and a bunch of white crap started to fall from the sky. I had no idea what to make of it, and neither did anybody else. I would overhear people talking about how terrible it was that this was happening to our town of all places, and how no one was prepared. Smiles soon turned to frowns. Miniskirts became wide-legged jeans. And then one morning, the sun just wasn't there. The end had come. This white powder soon came to cover and surround everything in sight, swallowing entire houses whole and murdering the life from every blade of grass and agonized tree branch. These dark times were sudden and moved over the city like the shadow of death. With one long, smooth reap of his sigh, all fell and crumbled then curled 
until frozen and petrified. Life was now lifeless. I love any excuse to complain, but being the elitist piece of shit that I am, I think people who complain about the weather are a little stupider than everyone else. I'm a firm believer in controlling what I can, and not paying any attention to the things I can't control. When it rains, I wear a raincoat. When it's cold, I put on a hat. And when I embarrass myself in front of someone, I delete them from my phone and pretend we never met. As Steve Winwood says, I roll with it. So although summer was over, fall had come and gone in a week, and now winter was here to stay, I had no intention of letting it get me down. Everything I needed to maintain sanity was within a seven-minute walk. And thanks to the last time winter had happened, I had already purchased a nice pair of insulated rubber boots to do that walking. This was going to be no hurdle at all, but just a minor bump in the road and one I could easily wear down in no time. But then, of course, boots are not the only thing needed to keep you safe and warm. But being a guy unable to purchase things without intense buyer's remorse, I've just collected free coats, random scarves, and mismatched gloves that I've found or stolen over the years. Winter is my time of extreme fashion, and anyone who knows me can confirm that while looking 40% hobo chic and 60% straight-up homeless, I somehow managed to pull off an aura of unbridled masculinity and jovial charm. Basically, I look like I don't care. Which makes winter the most honest time for a guy like me. And if I must be honest here, the sun has always had some of those certain controls not within my grasp. A smarter person than myself would probably look at my lifestyle and blame my alcoholism and constantly swallow depression for my awful sleep schedule and debilitating narcolepsy. But I blame the sun. During the past spring and summer, I'd get up not paying much attention to the time and get plenty of things done before work. And on my days off, I'd procrastinate by running errands, but still somehow be left with a decent amount of time to write. But this was all in that transitional period of adjustment to life on my own, and I suppose I wasn't really paying attention to the gradual degrading value I gave each passing moment, until one day, only about a week into winter, I woke up in the dark. Not the dark of night, but the dark of day. Midnight is moonlit and often as navy and deep as the sea a lot of us never get to visit. But the daylight of December is charcoal and too close. Nothing radiates but radiators, and the air is gloomy. And when I turned over in bed holding my head, I found that it was almost four in the afternoon. Then I shut my eyes and when I opened them it was five in the evening and I had to be at work in an hour. I got up and went to the bathroom and took a shower. 
Then I put on my gym clothes and looked at the clock, realizing that I didn't have time to go to the gym. I shrugged this off with a yawn. Missing one day wasn't a big deal. Plus, it was leg day, so oh well. I opened the fridge and realized that yesterday I hadn't gone to the store because I'd gone to a movie with a friend and had dinner at a restaurant. The only thing in my fridge was a box of white wine, a bottle of hot sauce, and a case of beer. I rubbed my eyes, confused. Then I looked again at the time. I began to worry because I needed to eat something before work. Otherwise, I'd be grumpy. That's another reason I dislike food so much. If I go too long without it, it can affect my personality. And that was the first time it happened. Standing there in my kitchen at 5.23 p.m. on December 17, 2018, I lost all control and gave in to convenience. I did not have time to walk five blocks back and forth, and scarier still, I didn't have time to drive it either, something I had never done, thinking it silly and lazy. But for a split second, I had now shamefully considered getting in my car, but there was no time for that. In fact, time was running out. I suddenly panicked and grabbed my coat, wallet, and keys, and pulled on my boots. It's okay, I thought as I laced them. You'll be alright. One day out of step in your routine might inspire you. This'll all be funny later tonight. Just get some quick food and go to work. I left my apartment feeling sick. I could tell then that the control was gone. I didn't believe the voice in my head. I was scared. I had no plan and hardly any time, and suddenly I was walking the opposite direction down my alley. Normally I leave my building and take a left, crossing a peaceful and still parkway to a quiet, one-way road that I would stroll down to get my coffee and groceries, all the while feeling accomplished and prepared. But that day my boots took a right instead of a left, and I just watched them my head hanging in defeat. And instead of dead grass and bare trees, they climbed a steep rise in the pavement and stomped among littered trash and towering dumpsters, and then arrived at a snowbank higher than my knees. On the other side was the busiest road in my neighborhood, with cars blasting by at highway speeds. I'd never gone this way because of this awful road. My apartment windows face away from it, and thanks to my routine spots and job all being north of my building, I never really had to cross this road or even go near it. Looking back, I suppose that was my time of purity. Living right on the edge of that road and knowing of the things just beyond it, but never being seduced by the mysteries they offered. That was true at least until that day. I stood at the end of my alley in an inch-deep puddle, staring across the road at a different grocery store than the one I was used to. It is true that this other grocery store was much closer to my building. It was right across this road from my back door. But I had only shopped there once, a decade ago, 
way before I lived here, and I had hated every moment of that experience. Thankfully, I had almost by this point drank the memory of that time away. But now here I was, looking at this awful structure once again and knowing in a matter of seconds I'd be entering a whole new nightmare. This road had a lot to do with it. Crossing it was nearly impossible, and for that helpful reason, I'd never once thought of shopping there since moving. But as I slumped, fidgeting and watching the cars splash my legs, I began to relive the design of the place in my head. I'd need to act quick. I wasn't about to go shopping in there. I didn't have time for that. Whatever I bought was going to be crammed into my mouth so quickly that I'd likely cut up my gums in the process. But before I entered, I wanted a visual lay of the land so I could grab and go. This would be no different than going home from a bar with someone I wasn't attracted to. I'd just enter with my eyes down, grab a quick snack, use the can, and run out before anyone spotted me. Then all I'd have to do was take another hot shower and scrub the shame off of myself. For the first time that day, I smiled, remembering this place also had a deli, salad bar, and coffee shop, just like that store that I preferred. A dabble out of desperation wouldn't spoil anything. I'd forget all about this in the morning. So when the last car blew past and a clearing opened, I ran, sprinting over those white lines and up into the parking lot towards the front door. Perhaps I hadn't lost all control, or perhaps I was crashing from a lack of caffeine. But just like when I had left my building, my legs and arms went into autopilot, and before I realized it, I was entering, grabbing a basket, and power-walking my way past the flowers and through the produce section. There was my carrot juice. Bling, I snagged one. I swooped right, rounding the onions and potatoes while discreetly sneering at their sad meat department. The lighting was awful. Lighting is the first thing I notice, wherever I am. And even though this was a grocery store, I still judged the bare brightness, thinking of how I would describe it later while complaining to someone about this whole event. I stopped for a second in the paper goods aisle, and got a pack of flushable wet wipes. In my opinion, the greatest invention of all time. I would rather have flushable wet wipes than a telephone, car, or immunity to smallpox. Then I doubled back, crossing the frozen food and heading for the southeast corner, where I remembered the deli being. This was ease. I would just grab whatever, it didn't matter. I have no standards, so lowering them doesn't take much work. I passed the salad bar, cringing a little at the color of things. I looked at their pre-packaged sushi, thinking that might even be quicker than the deli. All the rolls were decorated with something unfamiliar, and when I bent to look closer, I recognized just what it was. They were all dusted in Rice Krispies. My God, I thought, drawing in a breath. I've died in my sleep. I'm in hell. And just as I brought a trembling hand to my mouth and shut my eyes, a voice 
summoned me from above. Hello, the voice said. How can I help you? I almost burst into tears. Surely this was my guardian from the spirit realm, here to lead me out of this dark dream. I imagined that seconds from now I'd be opening my eyes to find myself still lying in bed. It'd be noon and I'd have plenty of time to do my routine. I'd just been the victim of my own twisted imagination again. Yes, I beckoned, eyes still closed. Yes, you can. Well, what entree would you like? The voice asked. I felt a door slam shut in my chest, and I looked up. This was all real. All too real. On the other side of a glass barrier, across a steam well of orange, yellow, and white, stood a man in a black apron and hat. His eyes were kind, and their look was patient, but he was only human. This situation was settling in my gut like a slow, creeping trickle of rotten mold. My throat went dry. I looked from his eyes to the food, suddenly knowing this was a moment I would forever remember. I judge other people all the time, even people I care about. Although I'm not successful, in any way all that responsible, and in no way happy, I get slight satisfaction in spotting the faults of others. I'm not the kind of sociopath who tells other people about their unattractive qualities, because that would involve talking to other people. But I am the kind of person who watches others and thinks often, well, I might not have my shit together, but that gal really doesn't have her shit together. Food is an easy platform for incivility such as this. I work at a place that serves mainly fried food, and I pride myself on never ordering it. I have no knowledge of the metabolic system or how eating right really works, but perhaps somewhere along the stupid road of my life in the service industry, I just came to assume that chicken nuggets and mozzarella sticks were bad for you. I think of them as baby food. The kind of thing a toddler smushes up in their little fist before smearing it all over their face. Which, strangely enough, is often how I watch a lot of my customers consume them as well. Although I drink every night to detach myself from reality and take in most of my calories for the day right before passing out on my stomach, I consider myself above eating food like this. Maybe it has something to do with my dumbass name. The deli steamwell offerings were nothing like I was used to, and a mixture of shock and confusion overcame me as I studied the choices. There were corn dogs, and there was corn. There was mashed potatoes, there was gravy. There was macaroni and cheese, and then there was chicken. Fried chicken tenders, all in a pile. Beside this was a third pan of white fish flooded in garlic butter, yet somehow still dry.
I squinted, looking around a moment, thinking I must have been in the children's section of the deli. This was children's food, after all. Corn dogs, for fuck's sake? And the only chicken was in tender form. Which is just a romantic way of saying chicken nugget. Anyone who claims that chicken tenders are not the same thing as chicken nuggets is a lunatic and not worth speaking to. The man in the apron seemed a little curious about my hesitation, watching me frown as I looked through the glass. Are there any vegetables? I asked. The man looked down at the food, as if he had no idea, staring at each item a second. No, he replied, bluntly arriving at his answer. I guess not. At this time, I was 35 years old. I think the last time I had consciously ordered and eaten a chicken nugget was easily over a decade ago, back when I was carefree and living the life of a part-time waiter and full-time musician. A time I always regret not spending on a college education. And here I was once again, out of control. Just give me the tenders, I sighed, glancing both ways to be sure no one overheard. And for your sides, the man asked, tonging my first dose into the clamshell. I'll take the corn, I guess, I shrugged, realizing the man and I were entirely alone. And the mashed potatoes. Both corn and potatoes are technically vegetables. This was the only thing I clung to as he spooned them into their designated compartments. And the gravy, he asked, looking me in the eyes once again with that patient stare. Would you like gravy as well? I could muse for pages on the transforming properties of a question like this. Sure, I said, shaking my head at myself. The man then wrapped my package in plastic film, adhered a price to it, and handed it over the glass. A nice hot meal for a cold, hard day, he said with a smile. Admire for a minute both the beauty and horror in this Siamese palindrome, this mirrored grouping of opposite words, like two pages of a book that could almost fold closed perfectly over one another, or perhaps snap tightly shut, like the sharp fangs of a trap. I wish what he'd said was fiction, that I, in my quest to give words life, had just invented this phrase for the sake of this story, but that is actually what the man said, delivering it with a fatherly grin and nod of his head while holding the meal out for me to take. I took it and stuck it in my basket and thanked him the way I've come to thank everyone who serves me, almost a little too earnestly. And I'll always remember the way he chuckled that first time as I walked away. Maybe it was at a thought in his own head or at something someone in the distance had said, but maybe it was at what had just transpired. The hook had been sank into me. Maybe, like a fisher, he was just laughing as he drugged the line slack, only toying with me. 
knowing he had me good. I live my work week by the seconds. From what you've learned of my obsessive nature, I'm sure you already assume each phase of preparation has its slot between the arms of a clock. But for documents' sake, to make this a true record, on each day that I work, I finish eating my daily meal at 5.38 p.m. Then I sit on the toilet and relieve myself until 5.56. Then I shower a second time for the day and clothe myself, pulling on my work shoes either by 6.03, but oftentimes as late as 6.07. Regardless, if I make it out the door by 6.10, which I always do, I'll dash to my car, have the time to scrape the windows if need be, and still arrive at work by 6.24, exactly six minutes early for my shift. In the spring and summer, I arrive sometimes 10 to 20 minutes early, but winter had chiseled this number thinner and thinner, something I wish it done to me as well. I ran back across the busy street to my building, I can't remember exactly, but I imagine that I slid over several car hoods and probably caused a pileup because I arrived at my back door in a swirl of trembling hands and rattling keys. Then I entered my hallway, tripping over myself as I climbed the stairs, meal in hand. When I got into my place, I checked the clock. It was 5.48. I'd wasted a considerable amount of time waiting in the store's checkout line but I'd been too distracted by trying to hide the fact that I was buying chicken nuggets to pay attention to any clock. Now I actually didn't have any time to eat. Well, eat and go to the bathroom. I associate going to the bathroom with every event life allows me and attach bathroom time to whatever event that may be. This is probably the main reason I've never played around with planning my own wedding. It's likely that I am lactose intolerant and allergic to gluten because whenever I eat, regardless of what I eat, I immediately sprint to the bathroom and explode in a violent and painful bowel movement that waters my eyes and chills my knees. Perhaps I'm dying of a parasite. I really couldn't tell you. I've never asked a doctor and I've been this way all my adult life. It's why I've grown so fond of bathrooms, toilets especially. But that day, I had to eat. Work, while always slightly miserable, would be utterly intolerable without a meal first. Boots and sunglasses still on, I stomped into my kitchen, threw down the package, and tore it open. I picked up one of the tenders and, without really considering what I was doing, dunked it into the pool of gravy within the mashed potatoes and then rapidly ate it. To my surprise, it tasted good. I, the guy who forever had been claiming that food had no taste or significance, stood there chewing and enjoying the flavors. Beef gravy and fried chicken. Here is another pair as before, two animals, at least their meat anyway, joined by what has become of each of them, and tied together with an and. 
My first time was quick. I'll admit that. Between the shame of what I was doing and the need to get it done fast, before I'd even opened my carrot juice, the meal was gone and I'd disrobed to sit atop my throne before showering. But no movement came. Not even a stir. I figured it was my nerves after having been in such a rush, so I got up and took a shower, mad at myself all the while that I would likely have to use the bathroom at work. Something I hated very much because of the lack of time to relax and let things take their course naturally. I dried myself, threw on a shirt I'd worn two days prior, and yanked on my work shoes, glancing again at the clock. It was exactly 6.07. I was still right on schedule. The drive to work was strange. I felt euphoric and serene, and even put on music as I drove, making note of a great drumbeat to the grassroots song, Midnight Confession. Two years ago, I was struck by a crazed motorist in an indoor go-kart race. The accident had left me with a fractured scapula, and for the pain I'd been prescribed oxycodone. During my month-long recovery period, I took one pill per day, one hour, before going into work. And being a guy not prone to addiction, after that one month, I never took it again. But I've held to the memories of that lucid time for certain inspiration when needed, and that drive to work was the closest I'd felt to the out-of-body high those pills had given me. It is conclusive now, through my own study, that oxycodone must be made entirely of scientifically concentrated beef gravy and fried chicken. There is no other explanation I can think of. I drummed my hands on the wheel as I found my usual parking spot and killed the radio. Then I walked the remaining half block with a spring in my step. This is not a story about what I do for a living, but I will say that the night went especially well and my mood was as balanced as I'd ever remembered it being. But the most interesting part was that I never used the bathroom. And it wasn't until an hour after getting home and drinking six beers, sometime around 4 a.m., that I finally defecated. And when it happened, there was no explosion, no violent burst, and almost no pain at all. And then I fell into my bed, closed my eyes, and crept gently into the branches of my dreams. This is how things change. Overnight, in an instant, and sometimes unnoticed. Because when I woke up the next afternoon, I was no longer myself. For years, my eyes would first slowly quiver, then shoot open, imagining that I had overslept for something. But then I would be cradled by the comforting reminder that I had settled for a career scraping plates and that my life did not require me to get up early. But that afternoon, I rolled over, passed a considerable amount of gas, and stared at the floor of my bedroom. Not in shock, not in comfort, but in a different mindset altogether. One where I was more in control, 
than ever. I rose, used the toilet, and then walked naked into my empty dining room and glanced at the clock by my fish dan's now empty tank. It was 2.18 p.m. I could shower, walk to the gym, have a nice long workout, go get my groceries and coffee, and still have time before work to write for maybe an hour or so. But I looked at the three red numbers. I looked at the empty fish tank. I looked at my work shoes, lying sideways on the floor. Then I looked at my folding table, littered with the six beers I'd drank the night before, and at my laptop that was open and paused on a Steve Vai video I didn't remember watching. Suddenly my life didn't look all that cool. Suddenly it looked really empty and revolving. In that moment there was no humor and I became very sad. And instead of showering and heading to the gym, I slunk back to my bedroom and laid back down, pulling a pillow over my head. I dreamt I was encased in wood, like a coffin closing in around me, and I woke up grinding my teeth and fighting my legs out of tangled sheets. I fell from the mattress to the floor and crawled back into the dining room. It was now 3.43. I'd slept away my time for the gym once again. This time, out of conscious choice. A terrifying thought. I was using my new control for self-sabotage. I was two people in that moment. Two people who hated each other. The only thing they seemed to agree on was that they wanted chicken tenders. I thought about getting dressed and walking the five blocks for roasted chicken and steamed vegetables, for carrot juice, for spinach, when suddenly a voice in my head began to shout. Now what's the point? it yelled. This voice was new and hostile like it had backed all the other voices in my head into a corner and was waving a gun at them. Just cross the street and get a coffee over there, it commanded. You need to get some writing done. Get back to writing, you dumb fuck. At this point, I hadn't written in about a month, figuring the block would pass. So I listened then and took the advice. I put my gym clothes on with no intention of going to the gym, pulled on my boots, found my wallet and sunglasses, and left my apartment, taking a right in my back alley, where I waited almost three minutes to cross that busy street. I was not myself at all. I was one of my sad characters. A loser, defeated and broken. There was no confidence in my gait, and I even crammed my hands in my pockets, something I only did while walking drunk. Then it occurred to me that I might still be drunk from the night before, since I'd missed the gym again and in no way sweated out all those beers. But I shook my head at this thought and pulled open the door to the grocery store's coffee shop. In a way, this other coffee shop openly displayed everything I hate about coffee shops. 
Lonely old people blowing over their cups and tearfully looking out the windows at a world that won't slow down. Chalkboards crowded with words of encouragement. Mugs for sale with this is my Monday face on them. Old donuts that always look better than they taste. And of course, the worst of all, no bathroom. I should mention this was a chain coffee shop. Something I've never cared for, unless it's a Starbucks. But the black iced coffee I ordered was fine, as I have no taste. And the girls working were rather nice to me, despite my rough exterior and cold manner. And I left the shop and entered the grocery store, thinking perhaps I had been overreacting before. Maybe I just needed a little bit of extra rest and a coffee to fully shake that strange mood I'd awoken in. The voice in my head was silent now, and I barely remembered its inflection as I walked past the flowers and into the produce section. I saw my carrot juice on the shelf, but remembered I still had the one from yesterday in the fridge, but I'd likely want one for tomorrow morning, so I grabbed another one anyway. Then I swooped right, rounded the potatoes and onions once again, and passed the meat department, this time eyeing something I hadn't noticed the day before. A self-service well of seafood soups. Being a guy that doesn't like most things, you would be surprised to know that I really like self-service things. They remove human contact from a transaction, and I simply love that. I was not in as much of a hurry this time around, so I inspected each soup and portioned myself a large serving of clam chowder into a cardboard cup, securing it with a plastic lid that immediately fogged with steam. This was a whole new me. I had never before been a soup person. With the way that I go to the bathroom, soup had always reminded me of what food looks like moments after I eat it. But that day, clam chowder sounded good, which should have been another warning, because I had never desired something other than pastries until that point. But when I'd seen and smelled the soup, I'd wanted it. Wanted it badly. Then, I began to shop. Procrastinating as always, I got coconut water, an energy drink, and a granola bar for work later that night. Then I found myself by the deli, shyly spying into the glass case at the glowing entrees. There were my tenders. There was my gravy. Hi, a voice said. How can I help you? I looked up, half expecting to see the old man with his fatherly grin and kind eyes, but instead, it was a boy, albeit a taller boy than me, but one nearly half my age. He didn't seem as patient, but also there were no other customers, so he only looked at me a little bothered by my silence. The tenders, I said finally. I'll have a tender's meal with mashed potatoes and gravy and the corn. I ordered as if this were the thousandth time I'd done it, 
as if this boy didn't know what the deal was. I almost barked it like a command, in a tone that was not at all my own, but familiar. Then I glanced around, making sure I hadn't been seen or heard. Okay, the boy said, picking up the tongs. I watched him plate it up. He only gave me two tenders, and not three. The old man gives me three, I wanted to scream. Get it right, kid. But somehow, in my agony of watching him close the lid and wrap it up in plastic film, I was able to refrain from lecturing him on the proper portion size. At least I still had restraint. That or I was just my same old pacifist self I'd always been. Whichever, no matter. Then, before heading to the checkout, I strolled into the dairy aisle to get some hard-boiled eggs for tomorrow morning. The morning when this new, two-day-long routine would cease and I would return to the gym and to steamed vegetables and to chicken not layered in flour and grease and covered in gravy. The stupidest thing about this grocery store I now loathe is their dairy aisle. First of all, it's carpeted, which makes absolutely no sense in terms of janitorial upkeep. And on top of this, the eggs are separated from everything else for no reason. They live on the end cap of an aisle all on their own. They are stacked high too, almost too high, and with no door in case they fall fall onto carpet, mind you. This is probably the worst design flaw I've seen since the first time I saw a man in a white belt. But I only laughed at the silly placement of those eggs, thinking this would be the last time I ever came here, and this carpet would stand as a reminder to never come back. Even out of desperation and convenience, two words that have now become synonymous. I chuckled and snickered, imagining all the eggs falling and some poor fool trying to clean it all up with a vacuum. Then I laughed wholeheartedly and held my side, turning to go. And that was when I saw them. The individual portions of cheese. Back at my favorite grocery store five blocks north, they put the eggs by the orange juice and milk, and far down that aisle is where all the cheese is kept. I never had to go that far down the aisle, and was never tempted. I like cheese. It's fun to eat. And I rarely use the word fun to describe anything. I grew up a fat kid, eating cookies by the box and cheese by the brick, but I was able to cure my teenage obesity the healthy way that most people do it, by taking up smoking and not having enough money during my 20s to feed myself. But cheese has always been my weakness. And for that reason, I have never, since graduating from high school, allowed myself to buy it for home. This, of course, does not include ordering pizza. I stared at those little individually wrapped sticks of cheese and read their price tag. They were two for a dollar. Fifty cents each. Hell, that was jingling in my pocket as I stood there. 
finding my hands suddenly in my pockets again. I could take one or two of those little cheese sticks to work with me and maybe have a bite or two every few hours to take the edge off. It was one fucking dollar. It was one fucking day. One thrown away day that had come after only one other day like it. The day prior. I pulled open the cooler door and grabbed two sticks of Colby Jack and threw them into my basket as if they were an embarrassing gift I was buying for someone else. The same way I buy condoms. Then I sauntered toward the checkout line and stood there, looking over the flowers to my right, taking this ridiculous place in a final time. Tomorrow, my life was going to be back on track, and I'd be able to think of this moment fondly as just a flirt I'd had with darkness. A harmless smile. A momentary caress. I went through the checkout line feeling judged by the cashier for what I was buying. But thinking on it now, I'm sure those pangs of shame were just self-inflicted, and that I was only projecting my own emotions onto the poor boy. But then came the ordeal of bagging my hodgepodge assortment of canned drinks and eggs and bowls of hot soup. The kid bagging it really had a time. A time there isn't time enough to describe perfectly. He couldn't seem to get a rubber band over the soup so that it would stay in place, and as if it would exhume an evil entity from the grave, he absolutely refused, with certain curtness, to put the soup and chicken tenders meal into the same paper bag as the eggs, drinks, and cheese. He claimed they would spill. I said otherwise, and that I was only going a block away, and that I would be careful. But in the end, I guess we agreed to disagree. Because I left the place with half my stuff in the paper bag I'd asked for, and my pathetic fat kid meal and impulse purchased chowder in a separate plastic bag, which was hard to manage since I was also carrying an iced coffee. I got halfway across the lot and stopped, throwing all the bags onto the hood of some stranger's car. Then I rearranged all the items, including the plastic bag, to fit into the paper bag upright. It only took a moment and I wasn't caught by the car owner. I went home, had my last meal, plus a bowl of chowder, and plopped down in front of my desk at 5.03 to get a little writing done before my second, now completely unnecessary, shower of the day. I hadn't worked out in three days at this point because of that matinee movie I'd seen earlier that week. But gym or no gym, I'm still addicted to showers. It's an addiction I think others should appreciate more than they do. So there I sat, the page in front of me as blank as my thoughts, when suddenly I began to write. But although my fingers searched and pecked as always, something was now different, and when I reached a stopping point after two paragraphs, I sat back, stared at the words, and read them aloud. Terror consumed me, like a herd of spiders crawling up my legs and back and into my hair. It was the voice from earlier that morning. The one who'd shouted, what's the point? The one who'd called me a dumb fuck. The one who was holding all my other voices hostage. He was out now, out of my head and onto a page. 
yelling at me from inside the screen. It was awful garbage. Something about darkness, something about a pale, cowering figure among the shadow, something about me not being here entirely alone, but being the only company to something so much more alone than I could ever imagine. Something that watched me as I slept, and watched me as I wrote, even as I'd written these very words. It was garbage. Likely someone else's idea just regurgitated from my recent lack of ambition and exercise. I'd written crap like it before, but this stuff was really awful. The kind of thing you only share in anonymous poetry chat rooms, assuming those sort of places exist. But it was words nonetheless, and I had written them, so that was good. But just to be on the safe side, I deleted the document without reading it a second time. Then I looked at the clock. It was only 5.23. Funny, the exact time I had first felt those awful feelings the day before. So to celebrate my liberation from that darkness, I decided to reward myself and took off my clothes and went back to bed setting my alarm for 5.38, so I would have enough time to do my business and leave for work, as always. And that's just what happened. Except I hit snooze three times, got up at 5.59, skipped the toilet, and went to work in probably one of the most hazy states I've been in since my days as a 19-year-old bong enthusiast. As an adult, I hate marijuana, its culture and its effects. But being as I am now, I want to warn today's youth of the real dangers in life. And they are fried chicken and gravy. They are a drug like no other. Steer clear if you know what's good for you. Because what unfolded before me from that point on was a downward spiral, I must conclude, was not all my own fault, but perhaps the fault of that darkness I tried to warn myself about, but had erased out of fear. That pale figure in the shadows I never turned to look in the eyes. Because this day in mention was December 18th, 2018, and today is now April 26th, 2019. Over four months have passed, and each day I have gone back across that street and purchased not only chicken tender dinners of mashed potatoes and gravy, but I've tried all their soups, cream-based, you name it. I've even sometimes gotten the mac and cheese as my vegetable when they've run out of corn. And I've maintained this routine to the point where the girls in the coffee shop have my iced coffee ready as I enter the door, to where the person working the deli greets me like a fellow employee, with honest conversation, as we see each other that often now. And to where I leave the store each day in a different direction to not be spotted, reorganizing my things into one bag on the hood of someone else's car. Because despite this decline in my diet and routine, taking on speed with the ease of a falling plane, 
The guy who bags the groceries never seems to want to put my soup and meal in the same bag as the rest of my things. Perhaps he is the embodiment of that voice I tried to silence. Perhaps an evil entity was exhumed the day I first put my own soup next to my juice in a paper bag. Perhaps that spirit consumed the bag boy in his sleep and is now just going into the kid's work each day to fuck with me. Regardless, I haven't been to the gym on a regular basis since November. I've been a couple of times, but merely walk around like I'm there to inspect the light fixtures. I haven't had a real workout since the fall. And as a result, I've gained all this weight and haven't finished a single piece of writing. I fear the employees at the cinnamon roll coffee shop and grocery store five blocks north must think I've been abducted. But I am proud to say that today, this cycle will end. Although I sit here writing this just after having a meal of chicken tenders and chowder, I can say that today, that awful place across the street has finally gone too far. Though they hooked me and have strung me along all this time, it is as if they are now shaking me loose. They don't want me there anymore. I can tell. How, you ask? It's simple. They've stripped me of my disguise and now expect me to leave the place as who I really am. In what I can only assume is a personal attack, the store has removed their individual sticks of cheese and now requires that you buy the sticks by the package. A package of twelve. This is an act of pure malice. I refuse to make this commitment to cheese. These past few months, I've woken up each day, told myself I would turn things around, played the air bass guitar in front of the mirror for a while, and then crossed the street. I'd buy two sticks of cheese for later, have my meal, and then nap until going into work. Then I'd sneak off during my shift around midnight, lying to my coworkers that I was going downstairs to do drugs and steal alcohol. But truthfully, alone in the employee bathroom, I would eat the cheese to get me through the rest of the night. And as I would try and bury the wrappers in the trash, I would tell myself that it was the last time. That tomorrow I'd give it all up and go back to carrot juice and lifting weights. That I'd write about this low point in my life and use its darkness to inspire others. But of course, the days remained the same. I'd become an addict. But now they want me to admit it openly. They want me to plan ahead for my own demise, to actually prepare for other shit days to come. They want to save me some money and spare me the daily walk across the street. They want me to accept what I am. Rather than spending a buck each day and hiding all the evidence beneath soiled paper towels, I'm now expected to spend four dollars and leave with six days worth of doses and store them openly in my refrigerator for all my guests to gaze upon and judge me for. Oh, you're a cheese guy, they'll ask? I never knew it, they'll say. He's always seemed so healthy. Who'd have thought? Hell no and fuck no. I won't do it. 
cheese might have roped me, but I'm nobody's showgirl. You see, I know other close friends, actually, who keep cheese, sticks, and otherwise in their refrigerators all the time. I do not judge them. I only envy them. For they are complete. I admire people like this the way all should admire good art, with a perfect mixture of jealousy, frustration, and acceptance. They are complete, and I am not. I have grown old in fragmented pieces that are barely kept in place, and the only thing holding me together is a daily layer of cheese I still can't admit I need. So from here forward, I am giving it all up. I will rise tomorrow as the guy I once was, and I will return to my path. I will walk those five blocks north. I won't buy any cheese. And in a month, I will move and be out of this dark place and away from that store. But for now, I must rest. A quick nap before I go into work. It's going to be a rough shift without those sticks. But I'll make it. Tomorrow will be different. That concludes this episode. For more information, go to skyodsley.com. www.skyodsley.com. Dot com.